I don't want you to take your Bibles. Turn with me this morning to Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10. Find the book of Psalms. Turn one book to the right. You'll find the book of Proverbs <clears throat> chapter 10. All right, while you're finding that, let me do a little, uh, let, me, let me say this. Congratulations, God bless you, to Bob and Betty Dyer who celebrated their 72nd anniversary this week. 72 years. That's a long time. I said to my sweetheart, I said, sweetheart, imagine that. She said, don't. Don't. I'm lying. I'd, I'd love to go 72 years with the girl I love. Also, very spiritual issue. I may be keeping up with the Titan games on TV. What do y'all do? The Rock, Titan games, Monday night. I don't want you to watch it tomorrow night. Young man from North Carolina is a phenom on there. He's competing on there. His name is Will Sutton, little short fellow. He's the mighty little man with the mullet. He's going to bring the mullet back. Wonderful young man. He loves God. He keeps telling the Rock he loves God, but Rock won't put that on the TV part. But he's wearing them out just a little from, from a little place called Trenton, North Carolina, population 265. He teaches with my daughter-in-law at the high school there at Emerald Isle. And just a, just a wonderful little guy. I want you to cheer for him. It says, hashtag country strong. And you need to cheer for Will. I'll give y'all something to do tomorrow night. Uh, get off the internet and watch somebody that's doing something good. All right. Proverbs 10. We're talking about the kingdom of God. Today we're going to talk about kingdom wealth. We're going to talk about money today. Relax. I'm not after yours. Not going to do you like old uh, Hank Williams Jr. wrote that song about preachers. They ask you to give their money to God, but then they give you their address. So we're not going to talk about that today. <laughs> I'm going to talk about him giving his money to you. We're going to talk about kingdom wealth. Listen, wealth is a big part of the kingdom of God. What's the only thing in this nation that binds every one of us together? Everybody's got different interests, different things going on. Money is the only common thing every person has in common because everybody's got to have it. Everybody needs it. Everybody has to be supplied with it. So we're going to talk about money today. We're going to talk about kingdom wealth. And what does the Bible say about it? We're going to look at the verse that chokes some people. We're going to read it anyway. Proverbs chapter 10. I love this verse. Verse 27. Proverbs, excuse me, 22. Proverbs 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Now, we don't use the word sorrow in our vernacular today. Uh, the, better, the Hebrew word be better translated misery. Here it is. God makes people rich and he doesn't make them miserable. God makes people rich and he adds no misery to it. Now you quote this verse and preachers are some of the worst say, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but. Could we get off our butts? You know what I see at the end of that verse? I see a period. God makes people rich and he doesn't make them miserable. Just that's what it says. You say, I'm all about this rich stuff. All right, we're going to talk about riches and wealth this morning. Money is a very difficult thing to navigate because we all need it. But let me tell you what this book says right here. It's the most dangerous thing you'll ever deal with. Money is the most dangerous thing you'll ever deal with. It's like a pistol. A policeman's required to carry one, but you better learn how to handle it. and You better be careful with it. Or it'll hurt you. It'll hurt somebody else. You got to have it. But it's very dangerous, according to this book. And we need to learn some things about money. Let me give you that. We're going to talk about true wealth today. True wealth involves three things, according to the Bible. And I want to be a truly wealthy person. I make no bones about it. I wish I had millions of dollars. I know what to do with it. But true wealth involves having three things, according to Scripture. But before we want to look at those three things, I want you to look at one of the great revelations about money in the Bible. 
When I read this years ago, it was sort of shocking, but it's in the book of Revelation. I want you to turn there to Revelation chapter two. And Jesus gives two great truths about money. And I want you to see if you've ever seen this in your nation or in your life. See if you agree with this. Revelation chapter two. This is where Jesus gives a revelation about money. Now, Revelation chapters two and three is where Jesus Christ is writing a letter. He writes seven letters to the seven churches that he loves. And in that day, there were seven particular churches. But these seven churches are a microcosm, a picture of every church that ever existed and will exist. You take me to any church in America, I can point you to, I can point to one of those letters. He describes every church that ever existed in here. We're going to look at numbers two and seven. Church number two is the church in Smyrna. And let me tell you about them. They would be compared to the church in Iran or China today or North Korea. They were, they were a wonderful church, but they were persecuted terribly for loving God. They didn't have much money anyway, and all their money had been taken away by the government because they loved Jesus. They were under terrible persecution. That's the church at Smyrna. The church at Laodicea, number seven, will be compared to the American church today. Expensive buildings, plenty of money. Matter of fact, we are living in the Laodicean church age, period number seven out of seven periods of world history right now. And Jesus speaks to both of these churches about money. And what he said is shocking. I want you to see it. Revelation 2, verse 8, Jesus said this, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, right, says these things, says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation. What does I know mean? I'm aware of your works. I'm aware of your tribulation. I know you're suffering. Watch these words. The Bible said this, I know your poverty, but you are rich. Now, can I ask you a question? How can you be poor and rich. But Jesus did, did not Jesus say, and by the way, they were very, they had no money. He said, I, I know that you're in poverty, but you're very rich. Isn't that strange? Something, something weird going on here, isn't it? Turn the page to Revelation 3. To the church in Laodicea, he said this. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, verse 14. Watch what he said. Now, verse 17 is one of the wildest verses in the Bible, one of the most shocking things. He said this in verse 17. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy. Was this a wealthy church? Not none of that. A lot of money. Had a lot of money. You say you are rich and become wealthy, have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor. Have we got a difference of opinion here? Is this crazy or what? Here's my next question. How can you be rich and poor? Well, apparently you can be rich and poor. Now, here's, my, here's another question out of that passage. Did Jesus say they were poor or did he say they were miserable and poor? All right, here's the question that stuns America. How can you be rich and miserable? You want to hear an even greater question than that? How can you be miserable and poor and not know it? What did Jesus say? You do not know how miserable you are and you have no idea how poor you are. That's crazy, isn't it? That he says to the poor church, I, I know you don't have any money, but you're very rich. And he said to the rich church, I know you got cash, but you're pathetic. You are miserable. You're poverty stricken. So can y'all put this together? What's the obvious? Wealth's got to, wealth has got to be more than to do with money, doesn't it? And obviously he's talking about some things money cannot buy. Can I get a witness to say some things money can't buy? All right. Now here's the, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, I'm going to reduce it all down to the tale of two men. I'm going to give you a microcosm of America right here. 
I'm, I'm one of those people, I've been fortunate. I visited in private homes. I started this 40 years ago. I've been in over 3,000 private homes in my life. I've visited in over, very few people have been in many houses I've been in. But I've visited over 3,000 families in homes. I've been in multi-million dollar mansions in New York City that had elevators. I've been in shacks in third world countries that had dirt floors and everything in between. And uh, I'm going to tell you the tale of two men that will paint a picture of this. A friend and I visited one night several years ago. We were in the Bronx, New York. And uh, you, I, I fit in real good with my accent there. We're in the Bronx, New York. And we visited the home of a, of a retired Major League Baseball player. He played for the New York Mets, which is why he lived in the Bronx. He won a gold glove, which means he was the best in the National League at his position one year. I saw his trophy there, his glove there. And we went out home and visited that night. And he was one of the most miserable, angry, bitter, pathetic people I've ever met. There was just a darkness over him and over that home. His wife was so beat down, she wouldn't even look at you. She wouldn't even raise her eyes and look at you. She just kept her head down all the time. His children never spoke a word. They lived in dread fear of making him angry. We left that house that night. I told my buddy, I said, uh, he's rich, big house, famous around the New York here. That's one of the poorest men I ever met. He had the money. I don't tell you, he's missing things money can't buy. That would be the man in Laodicea who was rich, but was miserable and poor. On the other side of the scale, I met a man one time named Clyde, Clyde Merck. I'm a student in school. Back when Mr. Lincoln was in the White House, I'm a student in school, <laughs> in college. And at my first little church assignment, I went to a little country church about 30 minutes from the school. And I was the youth pastor, children's pastor, music leader, toilet unflusher, grass mower, whatever, anything. And I even preached once in a while too. I was everything except a preacher. Did that some too. All right, the first Sunday I was there afterwards, we got done our little country church. A man comes up to me, he's real tall. He was in his 80s then. Just had the most beautiful blue eyes and smiling. He said, son, he said, me and Minnie Lou live right across the street from the church. I want you to come eat with us. I thought, go back to school, eat soybean patties, go eat country. I said, I'm coming. So I went across the street and he was married to Minnie Lou. And Mary Lou, Minnie Lou was about waist high and about as wide as she was tall. <laughs> Dumpy little lady, had big old thick Coca-Cola bottle bottom glasses and she just smiled and bounced everywhere she went. She just, I thought surely she runs on batteries. She's one of the happiest people I ever met. I ate with them that day. I, I ate like I was a condemned man. It was just first time I'd ever had broccoli casserole. And I mean, we ate, I, well, I ate like a walrus. Got done, had banana pudding, had the best time. And we just laughed around the table and enjoyed Some of his kids were there. And afterwards, me and Clyde went out on the front porch and we rocked. And he began to talk to me about how good God was how the Lord had blessed him through the years, how much they loved each other, how their marriage. Every time I was around him, he just talked about how good the Lord had been to him. He, I never saw him. He wasn't smiling always. He said, son, he said, I reckon me and Minnie Lou, I reckon we got over a hundred quarts of green beans canned from the garden ready for the winter time. He just, now listen, lived in a little white frame house, 900 square feet, had an old Ford automobile. It was clean and neat, but that was it. He, he was a bag boy at the Piggly Wiggly. Even in his 80s, still working at the Piggly Wiggly as a bag boy. I reckon if Clyde had scraped together $500, he probably couldn't do it. But one of the richest men I've ever met in my life. There's some things money can't buy. That's why Jesus said you can be poor and be rich. But you can be rich and you can be poor. All right, what is true wealth? The Bible says true wealth is three things. If you have three, thing, three things, you're a wealthy person and you'll agree with it when you see it. Number one, True wealth has nothing to do with your checkbook. 
Now, wealth does have something to do with a checkbook. We'll talk about that in a minute. True wealth begins with God. It begins with the presence of God in your life. And again, I'm not talking about religion. Some of the most pathetic, miserable people I know are some of the most religious people I know. I keep having to say that because we live in America. But it's the presence of God. It's God's spirit in your life. That's true wealth. It's what you were created. You were not created for a checkbook. There's a hole in your soul that a dollar bill can't fill. You were created for something else. Now, I want you to see in the Bible what it means, the presence of God working in your life. It's found in Galatians chapter 5. What would my life look like if the real God of this Bible came into my life and began to work? All right. If we found a passage in the Bible that said, when God comes into your life and begins to work in your life, this is what it'll look like. That's Galatians 5. I was working in my apple orchard yesterday. Do you know how I know it's an apple orchard? Why do y'all need me? There's apples hanging. It's the time of year for apples. There's apples hanging on the tree. Guess what I know? When I see apples hanging on a tree, guess what I know about that tree? I told you you didn't need me. It's an apple tree. If there's marshmallows hanging on it, it's a marshmallow tree. There's apples hanging on that tree, so I know it's an apple tree. Listen to what Jesus said about a person's life. You will know them by their bumper sticker. You will know them by their fruit. What you see on the outside will tell you who's working on the inside. Can we say that? And he said this in Galatians 5. He said, if you see this on the outside, God's on the inside working. Here's the list. Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit. What you'll see in my life if God's having his way on the inside. What are the three things? Love, joy, and peace. What are the three things everybody on this planet is looking for? Number one, if you have the love of God, I'm not talking about the cerebral, I read it in the Bible. I'm talking about God touch your heart. I'm talking about God make his love real to you in your spirit. And his love comes through you to other people. And you're beginning to love other people more and more. And then he puts people in your life that loves you the way he loves you. That's God. What's the number one thing God does since he is love? He puts his love in your heart through your heart, and brings it back to you by people. All right, number two. This is crazy because when most people think of God, they don't think of joy. Why not? He's the happiest person I know. Heaven's the happiest place on the planet. Tell me what, when God comes into your life, what am I going to see on the outside? A home, a home. That's not God. What does it say? The fruit of the Spirit is joy. I've never been happier than when Jesus is having his way in me. I mean, you, you can't be around God and not have joy. Let me make an announcement. Joy's good. Amen. Survey of college seniors asked this question. What are you looking for in life more than anything else now that you're graduating and going out in the world? I thought the number one answer would have been money. 65%, two out of three said happiness. happiness. Isn't that crazy? That college kids want happiness more than money? We tie those two together. We shouldn't. Why is it that everybody's looking for happiness? I hear women say, I'm, I'm, I want to find a man that will make me happy. Get you a dog. Let me tell you something. This nation was founded on happiness. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of... People wanted a place to freely pursue their happiness. Tell me, tell me something. 
What is it right here? What is it in every person that longs for happiness? Let me ask you this. Who put it in there? Who created us to long for happiness? God did. Guess why? So he can bring it. Fruit of the Spirit is joy. Number three, what's the third one? The peace of God that passes all understanding. Let me define peace by what it's not. Peace is the absence of some things. It's the absence of fear. You're not afraid of the future. You're not afraid of what people think about you. You're not afraid of failing. You're not afraid of not having it. You ain't afraid of nothing. That's peace. It's when you can lay down in a storm and sleep right through it because you're not afraid of anything that can happen. Peace is also the absence of worry. How many people are worrying about money these days? Will they be able to take care of the kids, be able to pay for the kids to go to college, be able to make our mortgage payments? Doing's peace is the absence of worry, where you worry about nothing. Now, some people think you're careless. If you worry about nothing, I would call it faith. All right. Now, let me ask you a question. This is what it is when God works in your life. I want to ask you two questions. Number one, if you've got those three things in your life, if he brings those three things in your life, he brings real love into your life. You love people, they love you, experience the love of God. He brings the joy of his spirit into your life and his peace comes into your life. What else do you need? Isn't that what everybody's looking for? Let me invert the question. If you don't have that in your life, you don't have love in your life, you don't have any joy or happiness in your life and you have no peace, you spend all your time worrying and afraid, what good is your money doing you then? There's some things money can't buy. And number one, it's, it's the spirit of God working in our lives and bringing grace in there. All right. I want to point something out that Jesus said about money and our lives. I want you to see if you agree with him. Isn't that a dumb thing to say? Luke chapter 12. Look at me in Luke chapter 12 at what the Bible says. Now I've heard, listen, Jesus spoke a lot about money in the Bible. I've heard people say he spoke more about money than any other subject. That's not true. But he did say a lot about it. Why did God talk about money so much in the Bible? Because there's a lot we need to know about it. And remember, everything he says is for good to help people. One of the great truths of life, see if you agree with this, in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, says this. He said to them, Luke 12, 15, take heed and beware of covetousness. Now watch these words. A person's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Did he not just dump the American dream upside down? What, Jesus, what do you think about what he said right there? Your life is not about how much stuff you got. Your life is not determined by how big your bank account is. Your life is not determined by how big your house is, how nice your car is. Your life does not consist of your things. Could we all agree with that? All righty. So number one, the real stuff is God's spirit working in life. Number two, and this is where people get a little upside down and need to learn some things. True wealth is when you're free from the power of money. True wealth is to be set free from something. What did Jesus say in Luke 12, 15? What's the first thing he said? Beware of what? What did he say for me and you to look out for? Luke 12, 15, beware of covetousness. Do y'all know covetousness made the top 10? Do y'all remember that? We knew killing and stealing and adultery was in there. How many of you knew covetousness was in there? What's commandment number 10? Thou shalt not. What's America built on right now? Let me define covetous for you. It's wanting something. It's wanting something somebody else has got. Covetousness is to see a new car and all of a sudden you've got to have it. 
Covetousness is to want a bigger house because you've got to have it. Covetousness is also defined in the Bible as the love of money. Loving money and the desire for money or the desire. Uh, bottom line is the Greek word just means lust. The lust for money and the things money can buy. Why did Jesus say beware of it? Let me tell you, let me tell you something about the word beware. I was a country preacher, started out in a place called Peachland. Y'all don't know country until you've been to Peachland. And I'm in the country down there. I'd pull up at an old house, an old shack with my truck. And there'd be a hand-painted sign or written sign on a tree that said, Beware of dog. <laughs> they don't have dog. Not like your dog. I mean, those dogs have been trained, hide till they get to the door. <laughs> and they can't get back to their truck. They looked like medium-sized calves. And they'd been fed gunpowder. You know how people will say like, They'll say, well, don't worry, he won't bite. You know how people say that? First house I ever visited in the country, I went to see a widow woman. I pulled up, her dog was standing there looking at me. He didn't growl, he didn't move, he just looked at me. She came to the door, I rolled down the window, she said, don't get out of your truck, he'll kill you. She said, you stay in that truck till I put him up. I thought, won't you come sit in the truck with me, even if you do put him up. And I'm, I just learned, you know, when you see beware of dog in the city, you think, oh, nice, one of them little artificial dogs like a poodle or something. I said, here's my point. When I read beware, I got scared. When God says to you, beware. Beware of loving money and the things it can buy. I don't hear somebody mad at me. I hear somebody that loves me trying to protect me from something that will hurt me and my family bad. So when he says, beware of this money thing, he means it. And it's a great problem, covetous in our land today. I want to ask you a question. What's the most dangerous thing in our nation today? What is doing more damage than anything in our nation today? You ask people, they'll tell you different things. They'll point to prejudice. They'll point to division. It's money. It's the love of money. I remember as a young man, I was just a brand new Christian. Somebody said, read the books of First and Second Timothy because those are the books written to young men. And I read it and I came across something in that book and I said, that can't be true. I'm a brand new Christian. I didn't know the Bible was all true, but I read it and it shocked me. And let me tell you what I've learned after 40 years of knowing the Bible. It is the truth. I want you to look at it with me in First Timothy chapter six. It's where the Bible talks about money. First Timothy chapter six, and I'm gonna show you something and I want to see if you agree with it concerning our nation right now. All right, 1 Timothy 6. What is the American dream right now? Get rich. Get rich. Win the lottery. Get a promotion. Get rich quick. We're, we're driven by the love for money in this nation. I want you to see what the Bible says about that. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's look at two verses. Verse 9 says this. <clears throat> Those who desire to be rich. Who is that? A lot of people I know, those who desire to be rich, what's the next word? Fall. The desire to be rich will cause you to fall into temptation, a snare, many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now listen to me. I may not understand everything that means, but it don't sound good. Fall, destruction, perdition, all because I want to win the lottery. What does the Bible say about the lottery? Does anybody know? And if you play it, I'm not fussing. If I knew how to win, I'd play it. Let me tell you what I learned from a very smart man. If you made money off them, they wouldn't do it. What does the Bible say about the lottery? The book of Proverbs is the book of wisdom. 
He who hastens to be rich falls into a trap. Get rich quick is always dangerous. Be like Mr. Hutton, make money the old-fashioned way. Get up and get a job. All right, let's read the next verse. The love of money. Notice verse 10, it didn't say money, did it? What did it say? The love of money is the root of all evil. I read that as a young man and I remember thinking, that's not true. Let me tell you something, that's true. The love of money is the root of all evil. In, in our nation right now, money and the love of money is the root of every problem in our land. Over this nation, we have demonic principalities that run the nation. There's one great demon spirit that's damning this nation and destroying it right now. Much as we read in the book of Daniel Wednesday night, the prince of Persia, the prince, we would call him the strong man over our nation. What's his name? Greed. Greed is the outstanding, powerful spirit that's damning our nation right now. Uh, we have a, for instance, we have a problem with drugs in our nation right now. What drives the drug trade? It's not drugs, it's money. Who is destroying our inner cities over the drug trade? Chicago. More people shot in Chicago last night than in North Carolina last year. Not exactly, but close. What drives the drug trade? What drives the gangbanging industry? Money. The, porno, the pornographic industry in our nation right now, I think it's the most underrated problem in the nation right now. Nobody knows how many marriages have been destroyed by pornography. How many children are suffering because of pornography? Not to mention... Not that, but only the pornography, the new pornography in our nation right now has reduced our nation down to junkyard dog level thinking and living. What drives the pornography industry? Money. money. The love of money, greed, the desire to get rich is what drives the industry. We're in a great battle right now in our nation uh, over racial issues, prejudice. Where did it all start? It started with the slave industry. What drove the slave trade? Not prejudice. Those captains who took those ships to Africa and took those people and brought them here to be sold, they weren't prejudiced. They couldn't have cared less. What drove it? The love of money. See what the Bible says? The love of money is the root of all evil. What caused plantation owners to buy people and make slaves out of them? They weren't prejudiced. It wasn't prejudice. Cheap labor. The love of money. The desire to get rich off cheap labor. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, I, I dare you to show me, tell me anything in this nation that has destroyed more relationships than fights over money and the love of money. How many families do I know that don't speak to each other over a few dollars in a will? I know of a family where a brother hadn't spoken to a sister in years over grandpa's old broke down shotgun that wouldn't even fire. I wanted that gun. I should have had that gun. He went in there and got it before the will was read. And we hadn't spoken in years. The love of money and stuff has broken more relationships. All right, we're in, a we're in a mess politically in our nation. We've got the most fierce political battle in our nation's history going on right now. What's driving it? Not justice, not entitlement, money. I'm going to strip it all away. Here's what every politician is saying right now. Vote for me, I'll get you the money. It's the desire for money. It is the root of all evil. And uh, let, me, let me tell you why it is so insidious. Money is a great servant if you can master it. But if it masters you, it is a terrible master. And it'll hurt you. And in our nation, we're being driven by this, this master over us right now. One of the most amazing statements Jesus ever made is about your master. I want you to look with me in Matthew chapter 6. By the way, that passage in 1 Timothy 6 
also has tremendous teaching and I want you to read the whole thing sometime. And one of the great revelations in there, we, I should have looked at it before we turned, but it asked a question. What does a person really have to have to be happy materially? Guess what all you have to have to find happiness materially? It was in verse eight above what we read, verses nine and 10, it says this, having food and clothing, let us be content. And it doesn't mean gourmet food and designer clothing. If you got basic food and basic clothing, you should be content with your life. Now, here's the point. I, I don't believe you have to live with basic food and basic clothing. I don't. <laughs> These nice cowboy shirts that went out of style about three decades ago from the tractor supply. I don't think we have to live poor to be content. But let me tell you something. If you have to have more than basic food and basic clothing, you got a problem. We can be content there. All right. Jesus said, he made one of the most amazing statements in Matthew chapter six about money toward you and I when he said this. Matthew 6, 24 says this. No one can serve two masters. You want to argue? How many of you agree? Why can you not serve two masters? Because you can only obey one person. You can't obey two people when they tell you opposite things, can you? And he said this. You will love one, hate the other, be loyal to one, despise the other. And I want you to watch these words. You cannot serve God and Satan. That is not what it says. What does your Bible say? You cannot serve God in what? Money. Money. Some of your Bibles may say mammon. It's the Aramaic, Aramaic word for money. Isn't that funny? Don't you find that strange? I thought the decision was between God and Satan. I thought it was between God and pornography, God and evil, God and grit. What is the decision between? Who are the two masters I'm going to serve one of? It's always between God and money. And I got to make a decision. What does master mean? What does master mean? Master is a term that comes from the slave days. Tell me what the master was. That's the one who told you what to do and you obeyed him. What does the Bible call money? You obey it and it tells you what to do. And he said, you cannot serve two masters. So what do I have to do with that verse right there? What do I have to do? I have to make a decision. Who's going to be my master? Not Jesus or Satan, Jesus or money. Which one's going to tell me what to do and which one's going to dictate the decisions of my life? Isn't this crazy? You see now why Jesus said, beware. All right. One of the greatest, let me tell you what true wealth is. It is to be free from the power of money to where money can't tell you what to do. It's when you reach a place and listen, you know why God gave us money. We were supposed to love people and use money to help people. That's the biblical design. What have we warped around in this nation? We love money and we use people to get more money. That's an inversion of the original establishment. Now, let me tell you what the, what, let me tell you what, let me tell you what the problem is here. If you get on drugs and you lose your home and you lose your family living under a bridge, how many of you would know you had a problem? Amen. I'd know it. You'd know it. If we get into a lot of the things we call evil, we know we're in trouble. Money can become your master and you not know it. That's why it's so deceptive. Did you know that money lies? You've heard that money talks. All my life I heard money talks. Let me tell you what the Bible says. It's lying to you. Let me show you in the Bible where Jesus said money lies. Turn to, one book, turn to the book of Mark chapter 4. When Jesus said money will lie to you. I want you to see this. Lying money. You thought I was going to say lying politicians, didn't you? I'd never say that. Lying money. All right, Matthew, Mark chapter 4 is where Jesus talks about different kinds of people. And he said, 
the word of God gets to everybody. The sower sows the word. He talks about people that are offended in life. They're bitter. They're full of hatred and it ruins their lives. He talks about people that are shallow. But he talks about a group of people in here in Mark chapter four, verse 18, where the Bible said this. These are the ones sown among thorns. They hear the word and the cares of this world. The what? Does it say riches? No, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things destroy what God's doing in their lives. Why did it say the deceitfulness of riches? You know what deceitfulness is? You know what to deceive somebody means? To deceive somebody means to promise them something and give them the opposite. That's a deceiver. What does the Bible call money? It says it'll deceive you. Tell me what money tells you. Tell me what money always says. I will make you happy. How many people have I heard say, if I could just have a bigger house, if I could just win the lottery, if I could just get that, listen to me, that money's lying to you because you'll get it and you won't be any happier with what you got than you was before you got it. So we spend our whole lives chasing something that's lying to us, money and the things money can buy, thinking if I just had that money, I'd be happy. No, you wouldn't. Let me make an announcement. It's like marriage. <laughs> marriage is a bring your own happiness party. That's good. If you wasn't happy before you got there, <laughs> you ain't going to be happy after you're there. Matter of fact, making two people share everything liable to increase your misery level if you're not happy before you get there. Then let me tell you something. If you can't be happy with $10, you wouldn't be happy with a million. I don't care much for the Beatles. All these are up when they started. They ended up a bunch of drug addicts before they was done. But they did get it right when they wrote the song, Money Can't Buy You Love. It can't buy a good marriage. It can't buy a happy home. It can never buy peace of heart. It can't buy the stuff everybody's looking for. But it lies to you and tells you it can make you happy. Do you see now why Jesus said, be careful. Beware of this stuff. Don't let it snare you. Freedom from the power of wealth is one of the greatest things God ever gives you. So what have we got so far? Here's a truly wealthy man. He's got the spirit of God working in his life, bringing love and joy and peace in. God frees him from the chains that are on most people in this nation, the desire to be rich, What's number three? Guaranteed life income. You ever heard that? The publisher's clearinghouse going to give you X number of dollars for the rest of your life. You're looking at a man who's got a guaranteed life income right now. And it's not because I'm on retirement. God guarantees income for every one of his children. Amen. I want you to look with me in Luke chapter 12. Let's look at that and we'll finish. Luke chapter 12. How would you like to know you never have to worry about money longest day of your life because you've got a guaranteed income from God? Wouldn't that be good? Let me tell you one of the things that I know is going to happen. One day we're going to see Jesus face to face. Face to face in all of his glory, we'll see him. And the moment we see him, several things are going to happen. But one of the things that's going to happen is we're going to say, why did I ever worry about anything? The moment you see Jesus, you're going to kick yourself and say, why did I ever worry about anything now that I've seen him in his complete glory? All right, Luke chapter 12 is a passage about money. And let me tell you what you need. You need to remember Luke chapter 12. You need to meditate on this. Are we having financial problems in our nation right now? Are people nervous about money right now? Save this passage right here. This is the word of God to you. Luke chapter 12. Look what Jesus said, verse 22. The whole passage is about verse 22. Jesus said to who? Who's he talking to here? I would highly encourage you to follow Jesus and be his disciple. Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor the body, what you'll put on. What's he talking about? Material things you need. Jesus said concerning all the material things you need, 
What did he say to do about them? Don't you ever worry again. Can I ask you a personal question? How would your life change if you never, ever worried one more time about financial matters? Wouldn't it be great? Now, let me tell you something about financial matters. We all need stuff. Matter of fact, you're going to see in here, your father knows you need things. He could have created me like he did a rock. You know, rocks don't need to eat. They don't need food. They don't need water. They just, they don't need a car. Why did he create me so needy? I got to have food and water and clothing and boats. And, and why did he create me to need so much stuff? So he could meet that need. Amen. He is the provider. He said, don't ever worry about anything financial the rest of your life. Surely you'll agree with verse 23 when Jesus says, life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Jesus said, there's more to life than stuff. Now we all need stuff, but dear ones, life is not about stuff. And then here's the great promise. Look at me in verse 29. Do not live, do not seek, do not pursue what you should eat, what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. What did Jesus say? Don't waste your life chasing money. Don't waste your life pursuing money and the things money can buy. Do not let money tell you what to do. This is a great problem in the church, in the land. I had a man come to me not long ago, and he said, I want to talk to you about a problem I've got. He said, my company wants to send me to Dallas, Texas. And we have a chance to move to Dallas, Texas. He said, it'd be a promotion for me. And he said, it'd be an increase in salary. It's a great opportunity for me. I said, what's your problem? He said, my problem's my wife. He said, she just don't understand he said, if we have to move to Dallas, she'll have to leave her family. She lives here with her family. And said, you know, she talks about our kids are in school. They like their school. And our kids have got ball teams there and they like their ball. She said, we love our church. And she's upset because we'll have to leave all this if we move. There. He said, she don't understand. Don't come see me about your problems. I said, Bubba, I think she understands perfectly well. I don't think you understand. I said, let me ask you a question. Let's put this into balance here. On one side of the balance, we've got family, we've got relationships, we've got a great church we love, we've got happy kids, we've got ball teams, you've got a nice home, I know you do, you've got plenty to eat, that's pretty obvious. I can, you've got all this. What's on the other side of the balance? Money. That's it. I said, now if Jesus told you to move there, something, he's got something good for you, but if you're moving because of money from this day forward, don't you call Jesus your Lord. Money's your God. I said, you don't need to change locations. You need to change gods. You can't serve two masters. Either you're going to serve money or you're going to serve Jesus. Don't let money tell you what to do. Let Jesus tell you what to do. And the Bible said this. He said, do not live for money. Don't pursue money. Don't live to make money. Not long ago, well, it was been a couple years now. You know, at this age, a couple years ago. And this happens to me a lot. A lady came to me. She said, I want you to talk to my daughter. She won't listen to me. And I thought, I'd be glad to talk to her. And I said, what's the problem? She said, she graduates from high school this year and uh, she's messed up in her thinking. I said, tell me about it. She said, she doesn't want to go to college. She said, her dad will send her to college. She doesn't want to go to college. Said, she wants to be a beautician instead of going to college. I said, what's wrong with that? You spend your life making people beautiful. That's why they call it a beautician. You get to enjoy people all day long. Sounds like a pretty good gig to me. She said, no, no. She said, she's missing this opportunity. I said, for what? I said, what's the opportunity? She said, she can go to college and get a good job. I said, why? She said, she'll make more money. I said, oh, I knew I had her then. I said, why? She said, preach her so she can have something. And I said, why? 
And finally, after I kept saying why long enough, she didn't even know why she wanted her to go to college. <laughs> Do you see how this mess has crept into the American mindset and into believers? That we're letting money tell us what to do and we're making our decisions <laughs> based on money? I love to tell, can I tell one more? Sure, kid. I love this one right here. <laughs> this is the classic example of how the American dream has become the nightmare. All right, my little, my middle daughter, she dated this fellow years ago when she was in high school and I loved him to death. He was what you'd call country. I mean, he was country with a big C. I mean, he was country and I loved him. He loved the outdoors, loved to hunt and fish. And like myself, he was not school material. He just tolerated it and they tolerated him. But he got out of high school and uh, he didn't want to go to college, but his mama was determined. He going to go to college because mama's want to, mama's don't let your baby, listen, let them grow up and be cowboys. Willie and Waylon normally know what they're talking about, but they didn't there. His mom was determined he's going to go to college. He didn't want to go. She made him go. And uh, guess why she wanted him to go to college? Get a good job so he could have more money, so he could buy more stuff, so he could spend more time dusting it. So he goes off to college. I told my sweetheart, I said, he'll never make it. I said, he'll drop out within a year. She was surprised because normally I see the best in people. She said, why do you say that? I said, two reasons. Number one, he's going to a college that's on the beach. It's right on the coast of North Carolina and he loves to hunt and fish. And I said, number two, when I saw him leave with his truck, he had a boat hooked to it. I said, he'll never make it. <laughs> sure enough, he didn't make it the first year. And it's just terrible. It's terrible. He should have listened to his mama. Should have gone to college. He didn't go to college. It's terrible. And he, because he didn't go to college and didn't get that degree, he didn't get to get up every morning and get dressed and put on a necktie and fight traffic with a bunch of demon-possessed people <laughs> and go into a building where there's no sunlight and stare at a computer screen all day. He didn't get to do that. He stayed down there. He became a professional fishing guide and bless his poor heart. He has to get up every morning and get in that boat and motor out to God's beautiful sunrise across the water and spend the whole day fishing. God help the poor boy. Isn't that terrible? Did he miss an opportunity or what? We're nuts in this nation. I know he's got plenty to eat. You can tell by his pictures. I know he's got a home and married the cutest little old girl. Got supper in the oven and a good woman's loving. What more could you ask for? My goodness. <laughs> you see how crazy we've become in this nation? Now listen, but, 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 don't tell, but, but. Get off your butts. We need to get back to this word. And the Bible teaches you and I, freedom from the love of money is one of the greatest things God can ever give you. To set you free from it. Guaranteed income for life. Watch what Jesus said. Verse 30, let's read it again. After all these things, the nations of the world seek. Everybody on the planet lives for more money and chases money. Jesus said, don't do it. Verse 31 says this. You seek first the kingdom of God. Instead of chasing money, you live for what God's doing in the earth. You love people. You help people. Let me tell you what God's doing in the earth. He's bringing joy into the earth. You live for that. God's bringing peace into the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers, the bridge builders. You live for that. You say, well, Brother Brown, how am I going to pay my electric bill? Read the rest of the verse. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added to you. Right. You know what that's called? Guaranteed life income. Amen. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging for bread. 
you live to honor God with your life and be a part of what he's doing in the earth, he'll pay you power bill. He'll pay you mortgage. Now, now wait, wait a minute. You still have to go to work because he's big on work. I knew I wouldn't get amen out of that. Would you not agree with me? Verse 31 is guaranteed life income. All right, and in case you're wondering, let's throw in verse 32 also. Fear not, little flock. Don't you ever be afraid. It is your father's joy. It's his good pleasure to make your house payment, your car payment, your fuel payment. And let me tell you this. I, I've known him. If he can trust you with money and get things straightened out, he'll add to you a whole lot more than that. What he'd really love to do is find some people that money doesn't own and he can trust so he can load them up. Let me help you. Guess why he passes you to gravy? So you can drown in it. So you can pass it on. He loves to find people he can trust. He'll pass them the gravy if they'll pass it on. And bless the fire out of people with it. All right, there's a test. You say, I don't think money is my master. All right, you want to take the test? There's a simple test in the Bible. Here it is. It's in 2 Corinthians 9. Here's the test. Do you enjoy giving more than you enjoy getting? Does giving to people bring you greater happiness than getting for yourself? That's the test. When you reach that, that doesn't mean you don't ever get anything. I'm blessed. But when you reach the point to where giving things to people brings you greater joy than getting something new for yourself, you are free from the love of money. You're blessed beyond measure. And Jesus said, you, put first, you seek first the kingdom and trust me in this thing. All this stuff will be added to you. It's your father's joy. All right. There's a book written years ago, probably one of the most famous self-help books every businessman has read it called Think and Grow Rich. Ever heard of it? Think and Grow Rich. Every, you're told to read that in business school. Think and Grow Rich. Listen to what the Bible says. Believe God and grow rich. You don't have to think. Believe God and grow rich. All right, let me make an announcement. You're looking at the world's richest man. You could be him too, her too. You're looking at the world's richest man. Let me tell you why. I have got the things money can't buy. I mean, I got it. And I'm free from the love of money. My sweetheart and I, years ago, we started out in Siler City, North Carolina. When we first got married. Don't try to find it. It was in Siler City. <laughs> Mr. Lincoln was in the White House. It was in Siler City. We lived in a little farmhouse, old shack farmhouse, had no heat. If you wanted to get warm, you had to build a fire. Our combined income was $300 a week. That was combined. Now, granted, it was the 1918. You could do that back then. <laughs> Three, well, we was poor. We didn't have any money. But we made a decision right then, and we've stuck with it. Number one, we're going to tithe. Every, every, the first thing check we write every week will be our tithe check. We're going to trust God in this matter, and he can trust me. He can bless me. We're going to tithe. And we made this decision. Money will never tell us what to do. We'll never make a decision based on money ever. Because I reckon, listen, I was wise enough from the word to recognize this stuff's killed a lot of people. It's destroyed a lot of ministries. It's wrecked a lot of marriages. How many marriages do I know that have been wrecked by money? And kids that have been hurt by money. We made a decision. Money will never tell us what to do. And through the years we've stuck with, I've I pastored five churches, four of them. I never knew what they paid till I got there. And the fifth one I didn't ask, fellow just told me. I've been tempted. I've had opportunities. I've had offers from speakers bureaus to become a, what they call a, a motivational speaker and go in the speakers bureau. It's crazy what them people pay you to go talk to them people. It's nutty. And I thought to myself, talk about orange juice, talk about Jesus. Let's think about this right here. Let me tell you something. Don't ever let money tell you what to do. You tell it what to do. You let Jesus tell you what to do. And you make a decision. I am the world's richest man. I got guaranteed income for life. 
You should know if I don't get fired regular, God's taking care of me the way I talk. <laughs> Blessed financially. I've got the stuff money can't buy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. I've got the joy of Jesus. I've got peace. I've never worried about money. I've never lost a minute's sleep over money or financial matters. I got supper in the oven and a good woman's loving. I got a wife that loves me. I have the best time being married. I got a wonderful family. I got the greatest friends in the world. I'm convinced I pastor the greatest church on earth. And I got a camouflage boat <laughs> and a jacked up four-wheel drive truck with loud mufflers to pull it with. What more could a man want? <laughs> Son, I got it all. Here's the serendipity. Chase money, you lose. Chase God, you get everything. You get the whole deal. That's the simple truth of everything in life. I don't want to tell you a story and then I'm done. This is the whole, he really wants to help us about this money thing. He really does. At the turn of the century, around 1900, there was a man who was an industrialist. He inherited it from his father. He was filthy rich. And he married a young girl. He loved her dearly. And he was a good man. He was benevolent. He gave to his community. He loved his wife. He was just a good man. But he was very wealthy with his holdings. And, uh, his wife got pregnant. He was so excited because he was a family man and loved family. And uh, as happened back then, 1904, as happened back then often, I would see this in the tombstones when I'm in my little country church. She died giving birth. Uh, many of the children were lost back then would be saved today. It's just different back then. She died giving birth. His heart was broken. He had the little boy. So he hired a nursemaid to come in the home and take care of the little boy. She looked after him. And that little boy was the delight of his life. He worked, ran his business, the nursemaid took care of the little boy and he enjoyed him so much. Five years old, the little boy developed typhoid fever. He died. And the man's world collapsed. All the money in the world can't buy a relationship. And he grieved himself to death. Well, uh, they were going to auction off his estate, his holdings, all this stuff was going to be auctioned off. And um, the day came for the auction and uh, had all his you know, stuff he had tapestries, paintings, yada, yada, all that stuff. He got auctioned off. Big crowd for the auction. And the people are there. They looked at it. You know, you can look at it beforehand. They got ready for the auction. And the auctioneer begins. And he said, all right, it's time to get going. He said, the first thing we're going to auction off is a picture. And you remember this 1904, 5, 1908 or 9 when the auction took place. And pictures were very primitive back then. You remember a guy had to threw the thing over his head. And poof. That's how they take a picture. Had an old primitive picture of the child, of the son. And he said, the instructions here, first thing went auction off is a picture of the man's son. He said, let's get to bidding going. He started bidding. Nobody wanted it. They all came for the tapestries. They all wanted the stuff. They, they wanted the good. You know, they wanted the man's wealth. Nobody wanted it. Finally, from the back of the crowd, 20 cents. It was the nursemaid who looked after the boy. She didn't have any money. But she came to the auction hoping to get some memorabilia, something to keep the reminder of the boy. Nobody else wanted it. The people were getting agitated. Get this out of the way and let's get to the good stuff. And so they, he said, going once, going twice, and done. Said, sold to the lady in the back for 20 cents. She came and picked up her picture, and she was thrilled about it. The auctioneer picked up his gavel and hit the podium, and he said, the auction's over. And there was a roar among the people. He said, settle down. He said, right here in man's will, it said, auction the picture of my son first. Whoever wants my son, give him everything else. He said, the whole estate goes to the lady. Let me tell you the secret to life. Forget his stuff. You want his son more than you want anything in life. You love Jesus and you chase Jesus. Guess what comes with him? 
All these things shall be added to you. You just love my son, I'll give you everything else I've got. Dear ones, we don't have to be caught in a snare. We don't have to live like this. We don't have to, be on, we don't have to get on the treadmill trying to keep up with the Joneses. To heck with the Joneses. His name is Jesus. Quit chasing the Joneses. Start chasing Jesus. You'll, listen, guaranteed income for life and the stuff money can't buy. All right, we're going to make a decision now. Everybody got to make a decision. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, you can't serve two masters. It's between Jesus and money. Got to make a decision. I want you to go out of here today saying, money will never tell me what to do again. I'll never pursue it. I won't live for it. I'm going to chase Jesus knowing, knowing I'll have everything I need and want. Said, Brother Brian, you can't say that. He never promised to meet our, he, he said he'd meet our needs and never said he'd meet our wants. Shut up. I'm preaching today. I've heard preachers say that. Pray tell, what does it mean? Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. If that's not your wants, I don't know what is. He's done it for me. You chase his son, you get everything else you're looking for. But we've got to make a decision. Am I going to chase Jesus or am I going to chase money? Because you can't do both. I want us to walk out of here today having settled it. It's Jesus. It's not the stuff that money can buy or money or anything else. It'll be there. Lord Jesus, I want to praise you and thank you so much. The damage, the damage, the damage inflicted on this nation, the pain and the suffering over greed, the love of money, desiring money, the things money can buy. It is the strong man over our nation. It's ruined more families, hurt more people. Your word is very clear on this. I thank you and praise you that true wealth is your presence, freedom from the bondage of money and it dictating our lives. And then your promise, I'll take care of you financially. That's true wealth. I pray for every person in this room, every person watching, that they will realize you, you, the road, there's a, I'm at a fork in the road. One sign says money, one says Jesus. Kingdom of God. I got to make a decision. Boy, Lord Jesus, I, I am a living testimony that a man that chases you will never have to worry about paying his bills and he'll have the stuff money can't buy. Pray for every person in this room, especially young people just starting out. They need to hear this. I pray for every person, Father, put it in their hearts to say, that's it. His name is Jesus. It's not dollars. Deliver us. <laughs> Lord Jesus, deliver us from our Bible being a checkbook and our church being a bank. Make it Jesus. I trust you for that. I give you all the praise and glory. You are more than wonderful. Thank you for being a good father who provides for his children everything they need financially and the stuff money can't buy. Let Jesus be glorified. Free us. In his precious name we pray. Amen.